This is the first time. Chirp Radio's live storytelling and music series recorded at Martyrs in Chicago's North Center neighborhood. Here's your host, Jen Sodini. Riley is a DJ volunteer for Chirp Radio. She's been here almost as long as I have. She DJs Monday nights. Guys, Brie O'Reilly. It was the t-shirts that got me. Well, that's not exactly true. In the immediate aftermath, I blamed the t-shirts. My hopes were crushed, and I didn't want to admit that I'd been in it from the start. I suppose I should really lay the fault of my obsession at the feet of my father, who used to watch the games at home, call into sports radio shows with his opinions about all-star voting, and even got me into his fantasy league. His fandom began my fandom, no denying it, but it's easier to blame a piece of cloth for your sadness than a human being whom you otherwise love, so I went with the t-shirts. Anyway, it doesn't really matter whose fault it is. This isn't a story about blame. This is a story about baseball. I've always liked baseball. My dad and I watched the Cubs teams in the 80s and 90s together. Rhino and Andre Dawson were my favorites. He even took me to a game at Wrigley when I was 10 or so. Though mostly what I remember is that we sat in the bleachers and someone spilled beer on me. And then it rained and the beer washed off. (laughs) Some would say I got the full Wrigley experience. In my 20s, the Cubs made it to the playoffs three times in six years and blew it in the first round every time. I half paid attention. I was living on the East Coast at the time where the Red Sox actually beating their curse was a more exciting story. But experiencing the obsession of Boston sports fans in the mid-aughts did awaken something in me. Which could be why when I moved back to Chicago in 2011, I got a job at Wrigley Field selling the 50-50 charity raffle tickets. I got to go to every Cubs home game. Of course, for the first few years, many people would not see that as a plus. The Cubs were bad, finishing last or second to last every year. I didn't care. I loved coming to the park. From the cheesy, it's a beautiful day at the ball game before they announce the starting lineups, to go Cubs go when they manage to win. And there is still no better place to watch a summer sunset. My raffle coworkers were a varied bunch in background, in age, and interest in baseball, but our fearless leader brought us together each year with one goal, sell a million dollars by the end of the season. It had never been done, but that didn't stop us from trying. We'd compete to see who could sell the most tickets each homestand and argue over who got the best spots. I was partial to gate K. I also made friends with the other regulars, like Mary the Usher, who would chat about politics and pride and always had a spot in her section when the selling duties were done. Uh, the season ticket holders, like Rye, who, uh, the kid who never missed a game, even in April, probably helped that his parents were school teachers. And there were the minor celebrity interactions, like Tom Morello bought a ticket for me, and I once spent an entire inning teaching the British cast members of Chicago Fire all the rules of baseball. <laughs> so even though the on-field play was often subpar, we had fun at the ballpark. After five straight losing seasons, the 2015 offseason lent just a glimmer of hope for us Cubs fans, thanks to two big signings, John Lester, the lefty ace who'd won a few championships in Boston, and new manager Joe Madden. Madden was known for being offbeat. He said things like, try not to suck, and wore thick black glasses. 
he was an instant hit. Not since Harry Carey were a pair of spectacles more revered on the north side. <laughs> but I didn't get too hyped up. 2015 was still supposed to be a rebuilding year. Quite literally, in the case of Wrigley Field, imagine redoing your bathroom, but instead of your bathroom, it's a 40,000-seat stadium, and it's bathrooms. <laughs> not surprisingly, the work was not complete in time for opening day. There were lines of porta-potties outside Gate K, a good chunk of the food stands weren't open, and there weren't any bleachers in the outfield. It was not a good look. Plus, the young team was having a hard time finding their footing, and the Northsiders' record in April didn't look too good either. But slowly, things started to turn around. When the bleachers finally arrived in May, the Cubs won six straight, and the undefeated bleachers fandom was born. Anthony Rizzo dazzled all over the field with his magical slide into third and acrobatic catches on the tarp. Chris Bryant made his debut, and Brizzo quickly followed. And then there was Jake Arrieta, whose microscopic ERA, ridiculous strikeout numbers, and eventual no-hitter led to bros all around Northern Illinois contemplated the benefits of Pilates. <laughs> Madden lived up to his offbeat reputation, and the day of Arietta's no-hitter was a scheduled pajama plane ride for the team, leading to incredible photos of a very happy Jake in a mustache onesie. <laughs> By August, even though the Cubs couldn't get out of third place, my spirits were high. I wasn't shocked when the Cubs would come from behind, and I'd go home whistling Go Cubs Go more often than not. I'd even throw a Northside Church of McFly tag on a, on a tweet or two. It wasn't that I really believed that Back to the Future predicted their win, but it was okay to have fun, right? And then something happened that made the magic seem a little more real. On a Sunday afternoon against the Braves, we finally hit our million-dollar sales goal. It didn't matter much to the rest of the stadium, but the 50-50 team was stoked. We even sprayed champagne outside under the marquee. <laughs> on the last day of the season, I met up with my parents in Milwaukee to see the Cubs take on the Brewers. My folks had moved to Wisconsin a decade previously, and since the game didn't really matter, uh, the Cubs having clinched the wild card the week before, my father was actually rooting for the Brewers. Always more fun to root for the underdog, he said. I gave him some shit, but the Cubs won anyway, and we all left happy fans telling each other, see you at Wrigley on the way to their cars. Our crew watched the wildcard game from a bar in Edgewater, me texting my dad updates throughout. I admit now that I was pretty nervous going in, but by the time the Cubs were up 3-0, I was nothing but confident. Jake was on the mound, and he never gave up three runs. When the final out was recorded and playoffs at Wrigley were a sure thing, we celebrated enough that I almost spilled my beer. My wife and I went back to that same bar for game one of the NLDS against the Cardinals, but our superstition was for naught, and the Cubs lost. My dad called me the next morning. I can't watch, he said. They lose when I watch. Maybe stop rooting for the Brewers, dude. <laughs> so I suggested he listen instead. And tuned into our respective radio feeds, we heard the Cubs win game two. Wrigley was packed for game three. The raffle team's locker room, which was actually a storage room under Section 135, was now housing the media, so we were shunted to an even smaller room across the hall. But it didn't matter. I tried to focus on selling raffle tickets, but sales were tough after the first pitch because everyone was glued to the field. And with good reason. The boys in blue slugged six home runs and were out to an 8-6 win. And then, game four. The Chicago Cubs were in a position to clinch a playoff series at home for the very first time in their long and storied history. To achieve that, and against the Cardinals, was almost too much to hope for. The game was close, and the Cardinals scored first, 
but the Cubs took the lead right back and refused to give it up. And when Schwarber hit his home run to the top of the brand new video board in right field, Wrigley went apeshit. And I gave up all pretense of working. <laughs> this team, with a lead after seven innings, could not be stopped. With our raffle duties officially over, my friends and I stuck down behind home plate to watch Hector Rondo and close it out. Rally flags, ground out, one down. More rally flags, hard in my chest, deafening cheers, strikeout, two down. We were so close. Carpenter came to bat and promptly hit a single. Wrigley groaned as one. Um, Piscotti, the uh, Cardinals rookie who had done nothing but hit home runs, came to bat with a chance to tie it. Foul ball for strike one. All of Wrigley on their feet. Strike two, swinging. This is it. Rondone winds up, the pitch is outside, and Piscotti waves at it. Strike three, Cubs win. <laughs> I hadn't realized I was holding my breath until I let it all out in a scream of joy and relief. Strangers were hugged, beverages were thrown, tears were shed. Video would later show the ensuing chorus of Go Cubs Go could be heard for literal miles. We uh, pushed our way to the Cubs dugout to watch the players celebrate, and I got a swig from a champagne bottle passed through the crowd by David Ross. And we first saw those damn t-shirts. Chicago wants it more, they said. And we did. We'd been denied for so long, but we'd beaten our rivals. We had Marty McFly on our side. The 2015 Chicago Cubs had only eight wins to go before the World Series ring was ours. Of course... 2015 was not the year. <laughs> the Mets would destroy all hope over the next week, and the Cubs would not get even one more of those eight wins. I got mad. I got depressed. I threatened to burn the cursed playoff shirt. I spent a solid month announcing that I would never believe in the Cubs again. But of course, on April 11th, 2016, I was right there at Wrigley once more, ready for my nerves to take another beating. And though I would watch dozens of other firsts during the 2016 season, including that rain-soaked 10-inning W in Cleveland, for me, nothing touched the pure elation of being there for the first strike three to give the Cubs a postseason series win at Wrigley Field in history. Revival and the Chicago Cubs will beat every.
You've been listening to a Chirp Radio podcast of our live storytelling and music series, The First Time. Our storyteller was Bree O'Reilly, and The First Time 3 performed Cubs in 5 by the Mountain Goats. The First Time 3 is Liam Davis, Gerald Dowd, and Scott Stevenson. To hear more First Time pieces, check out the series' website, firsttime.chirpradio.org. And you can find other podcasts produced by the station at chirpradio.org slash podcasts. Chirp Radio, hear what's next.